All right, so again, my name's Zach. Uh, we are uh, a few weeks into a 13-week series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. But before we get into there, a couple of other things I want to talk about real quick. Um, last week, we, um, I'm sorry, yesterday, uh, we uh, had our second work day on our new location. Um, and so we are, uh, for those who don't know, maybe your first time here, uh, we are moving to a new location, hopefully by this summer. Uh, it is one street up and two doors down, so it's not very far. Um, and uh, it is going to allow us, at least for a while, to move back to one gathering. Um, so we're really excited about that, because right now we are one church in two gatherings, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, and so we have this new location. We, we got some work that we've been doing as a church and volunteers, uh, and we have had so many volunteers come out. We are 60% uh, through the framing. Once we get the framing done, we'll be doing HVAC and plumbing because right now it's just a big, like, uh, little over 6,000 square foot rectangle uh, with nothing in it. So we're put, we've got to put toilets in because you guys need those. And, um, you know, we want it to feel warm in the winter and a little cooler in the summer. And so uh, I don't want to pass out while I'm preaching. Uh, and so things like that. So we're putting those things in. And so we've been moving on those as soon as we finish framing. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're just so many people coming out. We got so many talented individuals who know how to do things that I don't even know what they're doing at all. Uh, I get in the way, so um, usually they just like tell me to go knock, knock something down or carry something to a trailer. Um, but um, I want to just honor the volunteers for a moment and thank God uh, for what he's doing in them because our hope and our prayer is that this new location will be a place that we could call home put down roots, and then send disciple, making disciples out into the community uh, as far as the ends of the earth. Um, Yancey County, Avery County is included in the ends of the earth, so we want to keep going, uh, just so you know. And so we want to send people out to their communities back home to make disciples who make disciples. Um, and so that's really our hope and prayer for this place. And um, man, volunteers have been amazing. They've been talented, um, hardworking. And so we, we thank God for what he's doing in them and their service. Uh, I also want to thank one in particular uh, who's making all this possible, Mark. He's, he comes to our 9 a.m. typically. Uh, Mark is leading this project. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, he knows all the things I don't, like, I don't know. Like, we had to get permits and a licensed contractor, things like, I don't know what's, what those things are. Um, and so I told Mark last night, I was like, dude, thank you so much. Like, his ministry for me is just to keep me out of jail. Because, like, there are so many laws and codes and things that I don't know about that he knows, or he knows someone who knows, and so he's getting all that done. So I want to thank God for Mark and what he's doing. Uh, I want to honor him and his sacrifice and, and volunteering his time to, to lead this thing. Because when we show up on Saturday to work, he's been preparing all week, rewriting plans, talking to building inspectors and plumbers. So he's doing so much all week, every week. So I'm just so thankful for that man uh, and, and how he's pouring his life out uh, that we may find a place to send people out from. Um, in addition to that, last week we, uh, or so, I'm sorry, not next week, the week after, we are going to be starting our groups back up. So home groups, if you don't know what our home groups are, home groups are the context from which we do discipleship. Um, and so we gather together on Sunday mornings, and then we send you out into your community to make disciples, and then you, you, you gather in smaller groups through the week in, in, in groups, home groups. Um, we have those at very few houses um, throughout the community. Um, and so we launched those um, again, uh, this semester's ones uh, last week, and so they start not next week, the week after. So if you want to sign up for groups, you go to thegrovesp.com slash groups. 
Uh, you go to our Facebook page, we have a link there, but thegrovesp.com slash groups. You can just go to that grovesp.com and click on connect groups and you'll find it there as well. Um, but we think they're really important. Um, we, we said yesterday, you got, we got to get in the herd. Um, you know, you watch National Geographic, thank you Disney Plus, and um, what happens is that the lion, the, 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 the animal the lion devours is the gimpy little antelope that's on the outside of the herd. So we want to get everyone into the herd so that the lion can't just pick off those on the outside. And if you're inside the herd, we want you to go out and grab those who are outside and drag them in because that's where we're safe. Um, is that too much? Uh, but yeah, so that's, that, that, that's groups for us. Um, you share a meal. You uh, dig into scripture together from the previous week's sermon. Um, and you uh, share stories. Uh, and we'll never force anyone to share their story, but people volunteer to share their story of how God's changing them. And so that's kind of what our groups look like. So sign up for those. If you haven't, we'd love you to get involved in that way. All right, Ephesians. So we've been in Ephesians chapter 1 for several weeks. Now we're in chapter 2. Um, and it's going to start off, we've already read it. It starts off a little um, dark, right? It starts off a little, it says, and you're dead. Like, you're, that's what it starts off with. And, and, and really, it has to be that way. Um, when I got married, I got married 11 years ago. And uh, when I got married, I was 18 years old. And I was like, I guess I got to go. I've seen movies. I got to go get a diamond and get a ring, right? That's like what's got to happen. So I go do that. Turned out that's not what we were going to do because I didn't realize how expensive they were and how an 18-year-old without a job cannot afford much. Um, and so, uh, but I'm looking at them, and every time you go to a jeweler, um, they, uh, they'll show you diamonds. They don't just, like, hand them to you, and they don't just, like, show you in the air. What they do is they lay out a black piece of cloth, and they put stones on the black cloth so you can see how amazing these stones look when set against a black background. Same thing with stars, right? Like, the stars never go away. You can only see how bright and awesome the stars are when the night gets dark. In the same way with the gospel, the gospel is only as glorious as the black background. Because if you understood the depths of your condition and your sin, then the gospel becomes more and more glorious. And so Paul's going to take a moment here to set that black background up. Before he shares the good news, he shares the bad news. Because for any news to truly be good, it's got to invade bad spaces. It's got to first have bad news that the good news makes right. Or, or at least potential for bad news that the good news makes go away. And so Paul's going to start there. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. That is everyone. Everyone either is currently dead or were, was dead. You were dead. Now, the thing about death is not, there's not varying degrees of death. You're either dead or you're not. You can't be kind of dead. You can't be mostly dead. You can't be less dead than the person next to you. You can't be uh, pretty dead, but not quite. You're pretty close to being alive, but I'm just kind of like, there's just dead. You're just dead. All of us, either we were dead or we're currently dead. And there's no degree of that. So one of the things, real quick, we've got to stop doing is judging how far gone we were or are based on other people. Like, you can't look at your life and say, well, I'm not, I wasn't as dead as that. That person was super dead. I was kind of dead. Like, they probably could have revived me if they tried, but, like, I was just, like, a little dead. They just didn't try. Like, that's not what happens here. You were dead. You may look at the per you know, not the person next, don't look at the person next to you. You may look at someone <laughs> around or in the news or in history and think, well, I wasn't that bad. Like, they did some horrible stuff. That's why they're in our history books, because they did some horrible stuff. Here's what I would contend. 
you have that same capacity within you. The reason you don't do those horrible things, whatever they may be, murder or whatever it may be, is because God's grace has restrained you from those things, even before you were saved. God puts you in a culture where those things weren't okay. He puts you in a culture where there was great punishment for those things. Puts you in a certain kind of, like there's, we can go on and on. The way that God, or maybe he just straight up just restrains you. Just his spirit on your life, don't do that. I know you want to, I'm going to stop you from doing that because i got other plans for you right now in the future. I don't know, but the reason why you, because you, Jesus taught us in the, um, in the uh, gospel, the, or I'm sorry, the gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, that we all have that capacity within us, right? So you may look at someone who's an adulterer and be like, well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said if you have lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. I mean, I never murdered. Well, Jesus said if you have anger towards your brother in your heart, you've already murdered him. So we, we have that capacity within us. God has restrained some of us, and he's not restrained others, but we are all dead. There's no degree, there's no levels, we're dead. We were all, you were all dead in your trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were all dead, and in that death, this is a spiritual death, we were spiritually dead to God, we weren't alive to him, we could not see him, we did not want him, um, we were dead to him. Well, obviously we were physically alive, but we were spiritually dead, we, and we were chasing after this world. We were trying to cure our death, our spiritual death, by the things of this world. People do that all the time. The um, great theologian, Jim Carrey, he even, everyone's a theologian, some of us are just horrible at it, okay? Um, all, he would even say uh, that, I hope that you get everything you want, money, fame, and power, so you can realize it's not enough. Even, he's not a Christian, but he realizes that the things of this world, we chase after them trying to give ourselves lives, and we will not find them there. Yet we do. And, 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 then, and then secondly, Paul says, and there's the prince of this air that is now at work, or spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, that we have a real enemy in this life. That there is an enemy to God, an enemy to God's people who are trying to steal, kill, and destroy us, prowling around like a lion. So there's a real enemy trying to pick us off. And yet, here's what I want us to really see. I think, I think we, we kind of live in a culture where we believe that, most of us. But he says in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The reality is what we were always doing and what we will always do is chase after our desires. Like the biggest problem that you have in your life is not outside of you. It's inside of you. Every choice you always make is because you wanted to make that choice. There may have been part of you that didn't want to, but ultimately you wanted to enough that you did it. That's every single choice you make. And we say, we try and cover that. We say things, I heard this from our parenting conference we had a couple weeks ago, but every, we, we try and cover it up by saying things like, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean that. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean it. Y yeah, you did mean it. That's why you said, like, what would be more truthful is I said, hey, I'm really sorry I said what I meant, and that hurt you, right? That, that would be more truthful because we always say what we mean. We may regret saying it because of the consequences, yet we meant it when we said it. 
your biggest issue in your life is not, if you could just get this, it would help you so much. The biggest issue in your life is not outside of you, it's inside of you. You will always chase after desires. The enemy, Satan, he cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. The devil made me do it is not a thing. He can tempt you, but you will, he can only tempt you with things you already wanted. And you will only give in if you want them more than you want God. Our issue is our desires. Our issues are that we want these things. Our issue is that we don't believe God when he says these things will bring death. We think they'll bring us life, and so we give ourselves over to those things, only to hopefully, by his grace, realize he was right and that they do bring death. Our issue is inside of us. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This, this, is kind of, this feels heavy-handed. Um, uh, first of all, children of wrath, like that we were children of wrath. And, and so I want to kind of unpack this for a moment. I'm going to turn to Psalms 50, or Psalm 51, verse 5. Um, we read from Psalm 51 earlier. That last song we sang was actually just picked right out of Psalm 51. So if you enjoyed that song, just read Psalm 51. It's fantastic. But Psalm 51, verse 5 says this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We were, by nature, we were children of wrath. What, what, what's being said here throughout the Bible is you are a sinner, or you're not just a, a uh, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's who you are. It's by nature who you are. The reason you do things is because it's your nature. You were born that way. You're just born that way. Adam, our first father, Adam, all the way back in the beginning, he sinned, and every human after that besides Jesus was born with that desire and nature to sin. Philosophers and sociologists will go on and on and argue about, is it nature versus nurture? Is it, is it your nature that causes you to be the way you are, or is it the way you're raised and nurtured? Is it your like teachers, your parents, your coaches? Is that why you become the person that you are, or is it your nature? A, a biblical answer would be both. That by nature, you want to sin. Those are your desires. You want to be about yourself. And we wouldn't argue this. You might argue it because it sounds bad. But let's talk about ourselves for a second. Um, or let's just talk about kids, and we'll go to ourselves. So I have a son. His name's Eliam. He, he's, he's great. I don't want you to hear me dogging him. But um, he, at some point in his life, decided that I'm going to start lying to try and get out of trouble. I never taught him that. And I don't think, did you teach? You didn't teach him that either. I hope not. And, but like one day, it was just like, hey, buddy, did you feed the dog? And he knew he'd get in trouble if he didn't. So he said in his mind, like, if I just say yes, maybe I get away with that. Maybe I won't get in trouble. So he just lied. I did not sit him down and say, hey, buddy, your mom's about to ask you a question. Um, and if you give the honest answer, you're going to get in trouble. So why don't you just give the, uh, give the dishonest answer? Why don't you lie? And, and then we'll see what happens from there. Hopefully you get out of trouble. Like that never, conversation never happened. And I was the same way. And we, so if you don't have kids, you can't relate to that, just go back to yourself. I remember my first lie was that exact same scenario. Uh, I don't know if it was my first lie, but it was the first one I remember. I remember I was in the bathroom, um, taking a bath, and my mom yells into the bathroom, did I feed the dog? And I, knew, I was like, oh, no, I did not feed the dog. <laughs> uh, that's what I said to myself. And I said, oh, I know. I will say I fed the dog, and everything's going to be okay. So I just told I said, yes, I fed the dog. Now, she knew I didn't feed the dog for a variety of reasons. One, we used canned dog food back then. And so, like, if you opened one of those things, the whole house smelled like poo-poo. Like, it was just so bad. And I know because my brothers used to feed it to me when I was little. 
and, and because they were also born in sin, like that was their thing, um, but lying was my thing, okay? And so uh, we had this canned dog food, and so it, the house did ne- never smelled um, that day, and also there was no canned dog food in our trash can. It's like my mom's pretty smart. She knew I didn't feed the dog, and so she disciplined me, um, and, and, that, and that was, was what I remember. But I, no one taught me. Like my, my dad never sent me down and said, Zach, you should lie about this. Like it was just my nature. Now, now here's the thing. Nurture plays a part too. We all have the desires to sin, and we actually all pretty much have similar sins. Like, if you think about heart issue level sins, like anger, pride, lust, envy, like these are heart things, heart conditions. We all have those sins. What happens is the way that you're nurtured will play a part in how those sins flesh themselves out externally. Here's what I mean. Um, Everyone in here is probably angry at different times of their life. Maybe you struggle with anger. You get angry with people. And if you're born into a nice, loving household that doesn't really, uh, they're nonviolent, they don't discipline with violence, they might spank you, but they don't discipline with violence, they don't get angry, there's no like yell ma- yelling match, maybe you had that grace on your life. So you grow up, you have anger in your heart still, so your anger manifests itself with self-righteousness and contempt for other people. So on the inside, you're like, this person's crazy, they're the worst. Like you're just judging everyone harshly because of anger inside you. It's, your sin is anger. And the way it manifests itself out might be self-righteousness. But then you have another kid who grows up with the same angry heart, grows up in a violent home with lots of yelling and screaming, and he might grow up to manifest his anger, anger through yelling, screaming, and violence. That's, that's how nurture plays a part in, in how our sin comes to the surface and what it looks like when it comes out, yet the sin is in all of us by nature. And not only that, we deserve wrath. We are children of wrath like the rest of of mankind. We deserve, we deserve God's anger. I know that's not super popular these days, but we all at some level understand that. Every country in the, in the modern Western world believes in some sort of punishment for treason, and it's almost always death for treason. And is that not what we've committed? The, the creator of the universe created everything good. And he gave it over to us to rule and to reign in his image to show the world how awesome he is. And we have tried to take him off the throne of our life and and then ourselves sit on that throne. Treason. And that hurts his creation. And I don't just mean like the earth, although it does, but I mean you. You hurt one another because you have taken God off the throne or you've attempted to and you've placed yourself on that. Does that not... Like, we all understand this love. Like, like, if you love children, then you have a certain capacity for anger towards anyone who would harm children, right? Like, we get that. In fact, I would say it this way. The more capacity you have to love someone, the more capacity you have towards, for anger towards anyone who would harm that person. So if you think about God's love towards his people and how great that is, think about how great his wrath must be if we're harming one another, if we're taking, trying to take him off the throne, trying to put ourselves on there. So we deserve wrath. We deserve God's anger. We deserve punishment for our treason, for our sin. Like the rest of mankind, we were dead and we were children of wrath by nature, deserving of that wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible news? We are all dead. We were all dead. We were deserving of God's anger and wrath for rebelling against him, for hurting his people, and yet but God, being rich in mercy. Mercy is this idea of not, getting, not giving someone what they deserve. Mercy is this idea that though this person deserves this, instead of giving them that, I'll give them mercy. I will not give them what they deserve. There's this big theological term I want us to understand. I'm going to say it. You can try and spell it. I should have put it up on here. That would have been smart. Um, but we don't do stuff like that. It's messed up. Um, but it's called this big word. I want you to hear it, and I want you to write it down. You can Google it, figure out how to spell it later. It's called, because I don't know. I could probably figure it out if I tried a bunch. But uh, it's called propitiation. Propitiation. Propitiation is a $10 theology, theology term which means a payment that satisfies. A payment that satisfies. So in this term, Jesus is our propitiation. He is our payment that satisfies God's wrath. Maybe when you were younger, or several years ago, you watched a movie called The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, when, I, you know, when I was younger, I know all the, I wasn't a Christian yet, but all the Christian kids at school was like the only rated R movie they were allowed to see. Um, so their parent, like the whole, it's the only radar movie you'll ever see a church run out of theater for. Um, and so they could like, don't watch radar movies except this one. And so they, they take, you know, everyone goes and watches this. Um, and, and, and man, people are moved by this movie. And it's not bad that they're moved. But you see this physical harm that comes from Jesus. He's tortured, whipped, his beard pulled from his skin. He's got uh, nails driven through his uh, hands and his feet. And all this physical torment that comes on Christ. And yet, as Christians, we know that's nothing compared to what he really endured. Because it wasn't just his physical death that happened on that cross. But in those three hours of Jesus' time on the cross, he experienced an eternity's worth of wrath for all those who would believe from God the Father. God the Father poured his anger and his punishment out on Jesus Christ so that he wouldn't have to, to for those who would believe. For those who would be in Christ Jesus. That's mercy. Because of God's mercy, he has made a way for us not to receive the wrath that we deserve. It's not that we don't deserve it, because we do. And Jesus didn't. Jesus lived a perfect life, deserving no wrath and no anger from God the Father, yet he took it upon himself willingly so that we wouldn't have to. But God, being rich in mercy, Jesus is our propitiation. He is our payment that satisfies the wrath of God. And then it says, because of the great tolerance in which God has for us, right? Is that what it says, the great tolerance? No. Because of the great love with which he loved us. I think so many of us don't really understand that God loves us. We think he tolerates us. This idea of like, man, like Zach, I, I know I chose Zach before the foundations of the earth, and he's going to be mine, but I just wish he'd get his act together. I'll put up, to, I'll put up with him until we can figure this, this stuff out. Like, I wish he'd just get better at praying and reading his Bible and loving people and wouldn't be so sarcastic all the time. If he could just get these things down, that would be awesome. I just, I guess I'll put up with him until he figures it out. No. Because of the great love, not just love, it would have been enough to say because of the love, right? No. Because of the great love with which he loved us. When? 
even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's when God loved us. Not when we cleaned ourselves up, because we can't. Not when we finally got everything together, because we can't. But even when we were dead in our trespasses, God loved us. It was his love when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you are in Christ today, if you are a Christian, you have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. You have gone from death to life. There is no greater miracle on this earth than your awakening to the things of God because God loves you and he has made you alive with Christ. That when Christ died on the cross, your old self died with him. And when he rose from the tomb, you come out new. That is incredible news. Because so many of us, we like just want to get rid of our past. You can't. But God can. Like he's nailed it to the cross. And, and it still doesn't even go away. You know why? You know what the even better news than that is? Is he redeems it. Like he uses your past for his glory. Paul would tell Timothy in his first letter to Timothy that he has no regrets. Isn't that a weird thing for Paul to say? If you know about Paul, Paul killed Christians. He had countless Christians killed. He was the ISIS of the first century. And he says, I have no regrets. Because of my sin and God's love for me anyway, I get to preach the gospel and I can say, if God saves someone like me, surely he can save you. That's a paraphrase. It's not like the ESV version or anything, but uh, you can look it up. First uh, Timothy. But it's this life of no regret because your old self is dead. It's no longer haunting you. And then it's not just dead. God redeems it for his glory that others might see your past, see what God's done for you now, and you can bring glory to God through that. And, th and, th and then just the fact that you're now alive, that you are a new person, that is incredible news. Because being rich in mercy, because of his love, you have been um, made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But Paul doesn't stop there. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, verse 7, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So if, 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 if mercy is not getting what you deserve, then grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me, let me use an illustration like this. Um, my wife's from Florida, and sometimes we go down there to travel with, uh, to see her family, and then, and then also I go down to a church every couple few months in Jacksonville uh, for some training. And um, man, Florida, uh, they have these things called toll roads, okay? They're the worst. I think Satan invented them. Like, I'm pretty sure. I don't, it's not in the Bible, but like, I just feel like there's no way this is a godly idea. Um, <laughs> Because, like, you're just everywhere. And they're just, like, literally everywhere. If they ever come to Spruce Pine, like, I'm just going to start riding a bike. And I don't care what the weather's like. Like, we're just not doing this. And they're everywhere. And I don't even care that they're everywhere. I just, I've, when I'm traveling, I've got to, like, always stop. It says exact change only. I'm like, I don't have, I haven't seen a quarter in, like, like, a, like a decade. Like, I don't know what that even looks like anymore. Um, that's not necessarily true. My kids love change. But, um, there's just like this, this, these tolls. And so what happens is you live in Florida, you can get a, or you don't even have to live there, but you can get a thing called a sun pass. 
You put that bad boy in your, in your dashboard, you just drive through tolls, and they just charge you. I don't know how it works. Maybe it's a monthly fee. I don't even know how it works, but they just, you don't have to stop and pay tolls. Now, if you go through the SunPass lane without a SunPass, I don't know this from experience, but <laughs> they will send you a bill at home. Now, in one trip, you could do that a lot on accident, and you could get a large bill. So let's say, let's say you're at home, and you get home, like, because they'll track you down. They're they're really, they can't find, you know, criminals, but they'll get you. Uh, and <laughs> I guess you're a criminal, technically. So, so, so they'll send you a, a bill, and, they'll, and the bill will be like, hey, um, thanks for visiting Florida. Uh, we saw that you ran a bunch of tolls, and we need $500 from you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of money. Now, now here's, what, here's what would be awesome, right? Let's say you open that letter, and it said, thanks for visiting Florida. You ran a lot of tolls, and you owe us $500. But we went ahead and just set it to zero for you. Because we know, you know, you're, you don't come down here. You don't live down here. You don't know all the rules. You're probably just driving on the wrong side of the road. Didn't know. Couldn't get over fast enough to get to the tolls. You don't read signs. I don't know. But we set it down to zero for you. That'd be awesome, right? That'd be mercy. That'd be forgiveness of your trespasses. What if you opened that same letter and said, hey, you owe $500? We went ahead and set it to zero, and also here's a check for 500 bucks. That'd be weird, right? Like, you'd be going out of Florida all the time, <laughs> just running those tolls, right? No, that's not, what you, that's not the right reaction. But, but that would be awesome. If, like, if they get, it would never happen, so don't try it. But, like, if, you got, if they just gave you, that's grace. Mercy is resetting what you owe to zero. Grace is now giving you stuff you don't deserve. Like, not only are your past sins forgiven, now you've got things you don't deserve. And here's what you get. Here's what happened on the cross. Jesus took the wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. And then God has given you the righteousness of Christ so you can now share in the inheritance that was due Christ. Which means you get the earth. You get to rule and reign with Christ forever. You become a part of what he's doing in this world something you don't deserve to have, but you get to see the riches of his grace. You get him. You get things you don't deserve. It, it, mercy it, mercy's incredible. I'm not downplaying it, but mercy resets you back to zero. And now you're just neutral. Grace puts you over here with Christ, and you're with him, and you have his righteousness. Not only have your sins been taken from you, but God... Uh, has given you Christ's righteousness. You're not in a neutral position with God. You've been given grace, and you get to be in a relationship with him, something you don't deserve to have. And that's good news. That's really good news. And it's, it's better news when you understand how much you don't deserve it, because we can, take, we can easily take things like this for granted but you don't deserve to talk to God. You know that? Like, it, like you pray and you ask God for things. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve to let God have God listen to you. But he does. He doesn't have to bend down and listen. Nothing requires that of him, except that he loves you. And he wants to, because he's given you grace. Okay. Verse 8. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Been saved by grace through faith. Okay, so, so how do you receive mercy and grace? It's, it's by that grace through faith. What is faith? Faith is this idea of throwing your life upon Christ, of trusting him, that, that, um, that you're going to lean so much onto Christ and his word that if it falls, you fall with it. There's no, like, there's no, second, uh, there's no uh, alternative plan. Like, this is your life now. You're going to put so much of your, all of your life onto this, onto following Christ. This is what faith is. Putting all of your life onto Christ and following him like it's real. Like what he's saying is really real. Because it is. And so how do you do that? How do you give faith? How do you have faith? Um, it's a gift. The grammar is really clear here. It's not just the grace that's a gift, but the faith is also a gift. God will give you the faith that you need. Ask him for it. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm dead, and I don't know if I have the faith to believe it. Ask him. It comes from him. You can't, you can't muster up enough faith. This is what it's like. It's like um, if, if, if Eliam comes to me, my son, and he's like, hey, Daddy, I really want to use you a birthday gift. And I'm like, all right, cool. Here's 20 bucks. And he takes the $20 and puts it on an envelope, writes a card, and here, Dad, here's your birthday gift. Like, I didn't gain anything. Like, I gave, it's like, hey, good, thanks, buddy, for the birthday gift. You know, I, I just got my, my 20 bucks back. That's all that happened. That's what God does in our salvation. He's like, we're like, God, what do we need to do? You need to have faith. Here's some faith. Now you give it back to me. Okay, good job, buddy. Here's my faith. Good job. You're saved. You're like, that's literally what happens. <laughs> and it's funny, but this is like, like and, and here's why this is good news. Because if you think that somehow you earned God's faith or you mustered up your own faith, you will begin to judge others who don't have faith. You will lean against the cross and say, you guys just need to believe. When instead, we should be bow, bowing before Jesus and, t- and begging others to come because there's room. We don't lean in arrogance and say, come on, you, got, or you just got to believe. Why don't you guys believe? You will begin to judge others and think, if they just, if they just make the choices I make and say the things that I, or, like, or uh, believe the things I believe, they, their life would be better. And you don't understand that the only reason your life is where it is today is because of God's grace. Your, the, the, even the little part that you think you played in your salvation, God gave to you. God gave it to you. You've been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We do not boast in our faith. We boast on the, in the cross. We boast in Christ, in Christ alone, what he's done for us. And lastly, it says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, walk in them, <coughs> for we are his workmanship. Um, workmanship, I don't do this a lot because I, I, I don't want anyone to feel like they have to know Greek or Hebrew to read the Bible, um, but this word in Greek is just too good not to share. Uh, workmanship in the Greek is this word poema, which is literally where we get the word poem from. Like, think about it for a second, like, like you are God's poetry to this world. The Psalms would say it this way, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Like God designed you. You're not just a result of two separate DNAs coming together and making one. Like God was intricately a part of that process, making a specific person with specific giftings and talents and leanings so that he could show the world how glorious he is through you. You are his poetry to the world around you. 
You are like a poem. You are his workmanship. You don't work on yourself and make yourself better. He does it. He has made you his poetry. You don't need to make it yourself. Here, here, uh, Romans 8.28 is a really popular verse um, people like to use when people are going through hard times. Um, you should use it before people go through hard times because when they're already going through a hard time, this verse makes me just want to punch people. Um, you'll see why if you haven't read it. But if you're like having the worst day of your life and someone's just like, hey man, we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Uh, that's just like, I don't, I needed that yesterday, bro. Like, where were you preparing me for this? But anyway, that's just me. Okay, no one else cares. Um, <laughs> I'm the only one who gets angry like that. Okay, but there's a really popular verse. It says, for, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 29 is incredible. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I don't want us to freak out. These are good words, okay? Um, foreknew cannot mean that God looked down the corridor of time and saw people who would choose him and decided to choose those people. That's what people think foreknowledge means. It cannot mean that. And this verse really shows us better than any other verse because everyone he foreknew, he predestined. Predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So if foreknew can't be this knowledge, um, what does it mean? We talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, but the word know in the Bible uh, has different meanings. And, and, and we could understand that, right? Um, like if we take the word fast, fast has different meanings depending on the context, right? So I could say, man, helium runs really fast. And you guys are like, okay, I know what that means. But then I say, oh, I'm, I'm doing a fast right now. I can't eat. Does that mean I'm like running really fast and I can't eat? No, that means I'm abstaining from food and I can't eat. What if I say, I want you to hold fast to these truths? What is that? Does that mean like you're going to run really fast with these truths? Or you're going to abstain from these truths? No, it means you're going to hold tightly. So like fast is an English word that has several different meanings, and you only know what it means based on its context, right? Like you, if I just say, what does fast mean? You could have a bunch, most of us would probably think towards speed because we don't use hold fast much anymore. And a lot of us don't fast. But we could have a bunch of different answers. Knowing is something like that. So, so in the Bible, we did this earlier uh, in, the, in the series, but in the Bible it says something like Adam knew Eve and they had a son. That can't mean that we just know someone, right? Because that's not how babies are made, right? Like we, do need, we, we can do that Sunday school class if we have to, but I feel like you guys know what I'm saying. Um, there is, God, God will say certain things like he doesn't know people. Um, in, 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 in Psalms, it'll say he doesn't know certain people groups. Does that mean he doesn't, he's, he's unaware that these people exist? No, it means he doesn't love them. There's certain people groups that God does not have the same love for as he does his children. Because that love that he has for his children brings mercy, grace, and forgiveness in a way it didn't bring to these people. So when God foreknows us here, it's this, he loved us beforehand. It's the same thing we're talking about in Ephesians. It's this idea that before, even when we were dead, God loved us. And for all those whom he loved, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Christian, it is your destiny to become like Christ. Like you've got to stop worrying if it's going to happen or not. It's, if, you are, if you are in Christ, it is going to happen. You will mature. Stop looking around and seeing how much faster people are going around you. Like, you will mature. You will become like Christ. It is your destiny. 
It is who God created you to be. You are his poetry. He will make you like his son. You'll never arrive this side of, this side of eternity, but you will be brought from one degree of glory to the next, becoming more and more and more like Christ. You've got to stop worrying if it's going to happen. You've got to stop being paralyzed about not what, no, no one what to do. Start walking forward. God has prepared good works for you beforehand that you're just to walk in. And if you mess up, good, because God uses all things to make you like Christ. You just got to get up and start walking at some point. Like some people are so paralyzed by making the wrong choice that they just sit on the bench their whole life. Don't do that. Definitely don't be someone who sits on the bench and calls fouls at other people doing stuff. At some point, we get off the bench, we start walking forward, God's placing good works in front of us, and trust him. Like, if you're going in the wrong direction, God, and you're trying to serve him, God will move you. God will be like, like, there's so many other things I try to do before I plant another grove. I wanted to revitalize this church, and God's like, oh, you don't have the patience for that. Like, let's move you over this way. Like, he kept moving me until I found a place here. Just start walking. God has prepared good works for you in advance. Get up, walk in them. Your destiny is to be Christ-like. You have been predestined if you're in Christ. So we start walking. We start moving. We start going towards Christ. We surrender and, and, and just go. I don't know what that means for you, but in a moment we're going to have a chance to respond. Uh, as we see, We'll respond in song. We'll respond in communion. We'll respond... Uh, um, when we think about propitiation, that on the cross, God's wrath was poured out. So we take communion, reminding us and thanking God and rejoicing that, that God has satisfied his wrath in another so that we don't have to. So we take some bread or some wine or some juice and we drink and eat and remember that God has done that for us. If you're a member of the Grove, you, this is your chance to give when we sing and respond. It's up here on the on the bar, if you're, if, you're vis- if you're a visitor here today, this isn't me asking for money. Please don't feel like you have to give. This is for members. We don't pass the plate. We just got it up here on the bar for those who, su- who are supporting God's work and advancing the kingdom here and responding to God's generosity with their own generosity. But I would really ask everyone to think about this one thing as they respond. Where is God calling you to walk into? Like what good work do you know he's placed in front of you that he's asking you to walk into? Is it Maybe it's confession. Maybe there's something you need to tell someone. Maybe there's, there's some sin in your life that I mean, you want to kill, but you're having a hard time killing it. And so you need to talk to someone about it. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a little less heavy. Maybe it's just generosity. Maybe, maybe God's been calling you to be generous with your time, your money, and your talents, and you've just been holding on to yourself. Maybe and he's placing right for like, hey, just be generous. Just be open-handed with everything I've given you. Don't, don't, don't hoard the things I've given you. Would you give those to I gave them to you so you can give them to others and, and bring glory to me. Maybe that's the good work in front of you. Maybe it's, maybe it's get into a group. Maybe you're here today, you heard our, our group speech, and I think someone's going to make one a little later after songs too. Um, we make this speech. Maybe, maybe it's just get into a group. Maybe the idea of getting into a home group and sharing a meal with someone and, and being in someone's house and uh, hearing someone's story and praying with people, maybe that just terrifies the heck out of you. Maybe that's what God's placing in front of you. Like, hey, just walk in this. I could tell you story after story of people who um, did not want to come to home group, felt God nudging that way, got up off the bench, got into home group, uh, came, and, and I bet what you think I'm going to say is they came, loved it, and wanted to be there forever. No, they came, went home crying, 
super social, like lots of social anxiety, but they kept coming back. And they go home crying, call, call, their, call their family, like, oh, I, just, I know I'm supposed to be here, but it's so hard. Everyone's trying to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anyone, you know. Like, they keep going back and forth, and, and finally, I can't get this person out of my house now. In a good way, in a good way. <laughs> but, but they just got up and started walking. They knew God was calling this. Like, so whatever, whatever it may be. Um, uh, er, earlier this week, I sent out a video asking people to help us in our kids' ministry. Maybe that's your good work, and God, I'm praying that it is, because we just need help. And maybe you're like, I don't know if I can do kids' ministry. Hey, look, you know what? Maybe you can't, um, but maybe you can, and you just haven't tried yet. And this could be the good work in serving this way, serving the church this way that you're just called to walk into. And it, honestly, uh, if you have no desire for it, you sh- I, maybe you should just try it anyway. Talk to Amy. Amy's going to be over here. Uh, she's our kids' director. Because um, here's the thing, uh, I, I use Adam a lot for illustrations because I'm pretty confident he's not going to get mad at me if I don't talk to him about it. And sometimes things just come up to me while I'm up here, so I feel like he's a safe guy I can talk about. Because uh, it's not always flattering, um, but he seems cool. So Adam has been with us since we started planning the church, and um, he confessed earlier even in front of the first gathering that he was pretty immature. Um, but we asked him to help serve in kids' ministry, and uh, him serving kids' ministry has taught him so much about the gospel. Because he realized he wanted to do it well, so he'd read the lesson beforehand and learn about Jesus, and then so he can teach Jesus, and then that wasn't even enough for him, so he started getting other books for kids, uh, started reading those like they were for adults, and, uh, and just tearing them up and reading into them and, and, and learning about Christ, and, um, and he's teaching kids ministry, and my kids are coming home learning incredible stuff that Mr. Adam said. Step in the Bible, Mr. Adam taught me this. Mr. Adam said I should talk to you about what fasting is. What is fasting? That did not go well. Mike's son has to eat or he freaks out. We tried, but he cried. A lot of praying, a lot of crying. Um, and, uh, and, and to be honest, that video that went out asking you guys to help, I'm not even asking you to teach. I'm just asking you to, like, hand out snacks. And you could probably do that, right? Like, that's not hard. Um, we're just asking to make sure, the, like, all the materials are there. And the teacher needs something, you just be like, okay, I'll go get that. And high, f- high five a kid. That may be harder than passing out snacks. Some of us have some anxiety about, about uh, social things. But you could high five a kid, right? Like, so so, so he, here's what I'm afraid happens when we talk about what this next step is. Uh, whatever the next step is for you, I'm, I'm afraid that a couple thoughts come into our head. Um, one is I just don't, I don't know enough to do that. Like I, don't, I'm not, I, need, I need to get this stuff in order so that I can start serving over here. Like, I've got some mess in my life. I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not clean enough. Like, I need to get, s- no. If you're waiting until you clean your life up to start walking in the good works God has put in front of you, that day is not coming. You'll never get there. You'll never walk in what God has called you, and you'll miss out on what he wants for you. That day's never coming. You'll never know enough. You'll never be clean enough to feel comfortable doing what God has called you doing. God has not called us to a life of comfort. God has called us to pick up our cross and follow him daily. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound very comfortable. And even maybe more than that, God has called us to a life of obscurity. Most of us are going to serve in ways no one will ever see. No one will ever know. We're not all going to be in the band. Um, my, my specific teach, uh, gift where I teach here a lot on Sundays um, is not even one the Bible says you should want to have. It says, I, I don't, not many of you should want to teach because you'll be judged with a harsher judgment. 
Most of us are going to just be serving in ways that no one will ever see, no one will ever know. And that's a really good thing. Maybe that's God's grace on your life that you don't get puffed up and prideful and boastful because it's really easy to get boastful when you're up here in front of people. It's really easy to get prideful. I have to apologize a ton to people. God's calling us to a life that glorifies him, that becomes like Christ. Whatever that first step is, here's my prayer, is that you would surrender to it and say, God, I'm just gonna take it. And if it doesn't turn out well, you've gotta stop, okay, last thing, and then I'm, I'm gonna pray. You've, we've gotta stop thinking that if something doesn't turn out well, it means it wasn't God. Like, if I take this step and everything blows up, that means I wasn't supposed to take that step. That's not how life works. That's not how God works, okay? Sometimes God's calling you into a step so that it will blow up and he can make you more like Christ in the midst of that mess. So many times we think, like, I felt like God was calling me to do this, but I did it, and it didn't go well. Sounds like exactly what God was calling you to do. So, I mean, like, that's what, like, that's how this works. Um, God called Peter to follow Jesus, and then Jesus called Peter Satan one time. Probably felt like it wasn't going well, right? Like, but that's exactly where he was supposed to be. Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat and go across the Galilee. And then they found themselves in a storm rowing for eight hours. Did they do the wrong thing? No. They were right where they were supposed to be. We've got to get out of this thing of like, if I take a step and it blows up, it means I took the wrong step. Probably not. Honestly, that's how God teaches us is through suffering. It's God's grace on our life that he would make us more like Christ no matter what it takes to make us like Christ. So let's get that out of our mind as you continue to walk forward, continue to walk in these good works that no matter what happens, Trust that God is using all things together for your good, and your ultimate good is being like Christ. Surrender to whatever that may be today. We're going to sing, eat, drink, give, and surrender, hopefully today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get after it. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just hear the gospel um, given to us by Paul. Uh, that we can see what he said to the church in Ephesus, and we can see how much you loved them, how much mercy you had for them, how much grace you wanted us to have. God, I pray that we would surrender to that, God. I pray if there's dead people here today who need life, that they would surrender to you, that you'd give them the gift of faith to follow you and to put their whole life onto you. God, if there's people here today that you, right now, even putting some giving in their mind some good works you're placing for them. Lord, would they surrender to that? Would they begin to walk forward into that no matter what happens? They would just keep walking forward. God, if they walk forward in the wrong direction, would you just pivot them a little bit so they can keep walking forward in the way that you would have them as they become more and more like Christ and as we continue to become Christ-like in our communities, push back all that is dark and bring your light to people who so desperately need it. Father, I trust that you're gonna work amongst us as we respond. I love you for that. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.